Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session 123. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. And in this session, we're going to look at the brief letter of Jude, which is only 25 verses long. And then we'll introduce the book of Revelation. So, unless you're driving, uh, turn to this short letter of Jude. But before we get into the text, it's probably good to figure out who this Jude was. You might be tempted to think, okay, it was Jude, one of the apostles. You know, there was a Jude and a Judas. No, it wasn't either of those. How do we know this? Because the author identifies himself in verse 1 of this short letter, he says, Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Okay, so who, who are we talking about? Well, this Jude is mentioned in the Gospels. He is a relative of Jesus, and we will see him mentioned. You might want to write this in your margins uh, next to verse 1. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, and also in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Now, he's not actually a brother of Jesus. We've talked about this before. He is related to Jesus, perhaps a half-brother. You know, Joseph uh, may well have been married before, or perhaps a cousin. And we've already talked about this I think when we were in uh, Matthew chapter 13 about uh, the use of the word brother in the New Testament uh, regarding relatives to Jesus. Short answer, um, in that culture, they did not have a word for cousins. So all male relatives uh, were of a person were called his, his brothers. And that's still the case today in the Middle East, okay. But what we know about this fellow named Jude in the Bible as a, let's say, half-brother of Jesus is that he didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was while Jesus walked the earth. But much as with um, James, Jude's brother, they came to know Christ, and I should say they came to believe in Christ as who he said he was after the resurrection, right? Or Because we saw in 1 Corinthians where Paul explains, hey, Jesus appeared to uh, James, I mean, James' name specifically. And uh, after that, of course, James uh, goes from being a non-believer of, of Jesus, who he actually was, to being a pillar of the church, actually being the, uh, the, the bishop of Jerusalem there, right? So uh, here we have yet another example of someone who did not believe in Christ and yet had an encounter with the resurrected Christ, and changed totally, right? And became a leader of, of the church. So uh, we see that in, in, the, in the first verse there. He calls himself a slave to Jesus Christ. 
And uh, he writes this, To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept safe for Jesus Christ. Okay, so he's devoting his life then to um, telling others about Jesus in this very short letter. And what he wants to point out is beware of false teaching, okay, which is a similar theme to what Peter has said, what John has said, what James has said, uh, what Paul has said, etc. And, and as we've discussed many times, how do you make sure you're not following false teaching? Well, follow the teaching of the apostles and those who uh, followed the apostles, the apostolic church, that is to say, the Catholic church. Um, and don't fall away. In verse 5, he says, I wish to remind you, all, although you know all things, that the Lord who once saved the people from the land of Egypt that is, the Jews, later destroyed those who did not believe, including those uh, Jews who fell away in, in the desert, etc. So you got to hang in there, okay? He gives another example, verse 7, Likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns, which in the same manner as they indulged in sexual promiscuity and practiced unnatural vice, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So the Sodom and Gomorrah thing, um, if you want to underline Sodom and Gomorrah, in your margins, write Genesis chapter 19, which we'll cover soon when we pick up the, uh, the Old Testament. Um, and we'll talk more about the, uh, the sins there when, when, we, when we get there. Now, um, he makes uh, a couple of quotes here that you won't find in the Bible. Let's start out. Verse 8. These dreamers, again, uh, talking about sinners, false teachers, etc., nevertheless also defile the flesh, scorn lordship, and revile glorious beings. Verse 9. Here's the kind of weird part. Yet the archangel Michael, when he argued with the devil in a dispute over the body of Moses, did not venture to pronounce a reviling judgment upon him, but said, May the Lord rebuke you. So next to verse 9 in your margins, this is from uh, a work that we don't see in the Bible. It's uh, called an apocryphal book. It's called it's in the Assumption of Moses, not part of our Bible. So uh, we see an example here of a quotation from something outside of the Bible. It says you won't find it in Christianity, in any uh, uh, of the Christian um, denominations either. But he's, he's basically saying, hey, uh, allow the Lord to make judgment over, over a person's eternal uh, state, if you will. Um, and he talks about people who've fallen away. Verse 11, he says, Woe to them! They followed the way of Cain. So circle Cain, and in your margins, uh, Cain is described in Genesis chapter 4, and we'll discuss that, of course, when we get there. But just if you see some names that are not familiar to you and you wonder, where is he pulling this from? That's why I'm having you write it in your margins. 
They abandoned themselves to Balaam's error. Well, Balaam was a magician who thought he could kind of control God. So you might want to underline Balaam's error and in your margins write Numbers 22 through 24. So that's the book of Numbers, chapter 22 through 24. I won't go into that now, but when we get to Numbers, we'll cross-reference that. So I want you to write that. And perhaps go back to Numbers, chapters 22 through 24, and put in those margins, uh, see Jude chapter, uh, excuse me, see Jude verse 11. For the sake of gain, and they perished in the rebellion of Korah. So underline rebellion of, of Korah. And in your margins, write Numbers, again, the book of Numbers, chapter 16, uh, this Korah rebelled against Moses, okay? And they, he, he, um, so um, I'm only giving you this to write in your margins, not that it's going to make a lot of sense now, but when you study these things in Genesis and Numbers, it'll, it'll make more sense to you. So hold on. He also quotes from the book of Enoch, which if try as you may, you won't find the book of Enoch in any Christian Bible, right? Verse 14, um, and I don't even think I, uh, well, uh, in this book of Enoch, you might want to write in the margins next to verse 14, where um, Jude is quoting from this apocryphal book. Um, he, Enoch prophesied about them when he said, Behold, the Lord has come with his countless holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict everyone for all the godless deeds. I want you to circle the word deeds and underline convict everyone for all the godless deeds that they committed and for all the harsh words godless sinners have uttered against him. So apparently your deeds do matter, right? They reflect on your faith, your trust, and, and your relationship with Christ, right? So again, if you needed yet another example of um, why your, your deeds reflect your relationship with Christ and uh contribute to your eternal state. Uh, you have it yet again there. Um, he warns us in verse 18 and on, in the last time there will be, in, you know, the last time of the earth, and really since the history of the earth, there will be scoffers who will live according to their own godless desires. Okay, these are the ones who cause divisions. Hmm. We were supposed to be one church, right? But uh, all of Christendom is supposed to be one church, but we're not. I don't think God's too happy about that. They live on the natural plane, devoid of the Spirit, capital S. And he urges us in verse 20, pray in the Holy Spirit. You know, we've got this, this great resource, the Holy Spirit, who lives inside us and guides us if we will just listen to him. And um, so he's um, he's more than just your conscience. He's your guide. He's also your your advocate. And uh, 
He urges us to uh, have mercy on those who waver in verse 22 and um, have have mercy with fear, um, you know, etc. So it's a very short book, but I think the thing most interesting about it is the author himself, who came from a person who did not believe that Christ was who he said he was, and ultimately did come to belief in in him after experiencing, in some way, the resurrected Christ. And so if you are, are wavering a little bit in your uh, desire to have a relationship with, with Christ, or if you've already decided to have that relationship, but you've pulled away from that a little bit, I would encourage you to um, get back to the Eucharist. Have your own encounter with the resurrected Christ, which is what happens every time you receive the Eucharist, which is, of course, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. And he can strengthen you so that you will then um, uh, believe and tell others, as Jude is attempting to do in this short letter. Now, a few words of introduction about the book of Revelation, uh, the revelation to John, who uh, uh, this is perhaps, uh, it, maybe not even perhaps, this is easily the most misunderstood book of the Bible. There are, there are many fundamentalist Christians who look to Revelation as a guide to the end of the world and are, they're trying to figure out with codes uh, when is when is the end of the world going to occur? What are the specific events and countries and people that are involved in the uh, the end times, you know, etc. And um, it is a this book was, there's extra interest in it because of a fictional series of books that have been very popular over the last 20 or 25 years that called the Left Behind series. And uh, trying to think of the, the author's name, it's not coming to mind real easily. I think Tim LaHaye is one of the authors. And I think the other one, uh, anyway. I believe he's one of the authors. And uh, anyway, the idea that there's going to be a rapture, that it's going to take all of the good people, all of the followers of Christ out of the world so that we don't have to go through this horrible tribulation. And um, that is not how the Catholic Church sees it. And... Um, uh, a couple of couple of things I want to uh, just mention as an introduction to this book of Revelation. Why was it written? When was it written? Okay, it was written sometime between at the earliest in the 60s AD, but most likely probably near the end of that first century there written by John or perhaps penned by one of John's uh, followers there. Yes, this is the same John who wrote the Gospel of John and the same John who's credited with 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, okay? 
So when you get to reading this book, you're going to say, wow, what was this guy smoking? Uh, you know, there's all kinds of weird visions, beasts with multiple eyes, horns, half animals, dragons, scorpions, um, you know, who, who, what was, we have to, there's a lot of symbolism there, right? If you recall our study of the gospel of John, John uses a lot of symbolism. So once again, as with John, there's a lot of numbers used here. You're going to get sick once again of seeing the number seven, the number 12. There's symbol used like colors, metals, animals, symbols borrowed from the Old Testament, uh, the book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel, Zechariah, Joel, etc. But in a nutshell, why was this written? Okay, look at the time going at the time that it was written. The church was being persecuted heavily. There, uh, they had just come out of uh, Nero, and then Domitian was the Roman Empire or was the Roman emperor in the nineties, um, uh, in the first century there, and the church was being persecuted heavily. So this book that John wrote is an example of what is called apocalyptic literature. We see other examples of that in parts of uh, the, uh, the book of Daniel in, in the Old Testament. Okay, There's other uh, books of that nature as well. What, what does this, um, you know, what does apocalyptic literature do? It uh, the, the purpose of apocalyptic literature is to say, hey, guys, we're going through some rough times right now. We are being persecuted. But let's look back at a previous time when believers in God were being persecuted. And we see that even though a lot of terrible stuff happened, like to Daniel in the book of Daniel, uh, the believers got through it. Okay, and God will not give up on us if we persevere. So if I were asked to sum up the theme of the, of the book of Revelation, I would say it is that. God will not give up on us, and God will be with us in times of persecution, uh, which we're certainly going on at the time of John, and of, of this book of Revelation and are certainly going on today. But uh, that's about all the time we have to talk about it today. We'll get more into the purpose of it next time. But I, I want to uh, let you know that we as Catholics read this book differently than fundamentalist Christians. This is not just a puzzle to try to figure out the end of the world, but rather uh, an encouragement for us that God, just as in times of, of Daniel, will not leave us and uh, that we must persevere. So with that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, dear Lord, we thank you first for this letter of Jude. We are encouraged that he, once he had an encounter with the resurrected Christ, changed his views on who this relative 
of his, uh, this blood relative of his was. And so much so that he wrote this book, uh, or this, this short letter, admonishing people, or rather telling people, to, uh, hey, be true to apostolic teaching uh, and persevere to the end. And so we, we thank you for his uh, change of heart, so to speak. Also be with us as we begin our study of this book of Revelation, as we are comforted to know that you will be with us in times of trial, just as you were in the times of the uh, late first century church and all of the persecution it was going through. Uh, we thank you for these works. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you.